listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we desire um, more. We need more. And at times, even our own heart's desire doesn't even know what we want, but we know that so oftentimes in my own life, I experience this, and I believe I'm in good company where we're going through life, and we even um, join in on services like this, and, and, and there's a part where it just seems like something is missing or we need more, and, and, and what we need is, is more of you, to behold you in a greater and a deeper way, and we do that through your word God, I pray that your word would come alive in our lives uh, this morning as we are in your word together as the body of Christ, and it would come alive this week as we are pouring over the pages of Scripture. And God, I pray that, that, that as a result of that, we would be changed. We would fall in love in a greater way with this God who, are we, who we are getting to know um, thoroughly through your word and then as we live out your word and your spirit gives us life and gives us power and strength oh god we need you we're desperate for you we we cannot make it through this life on our own you are our hope you are our only hope in this life and for eternity to come and and would we just run to you today would we run to you Uh, for healing would we run to you for help and for strength oh god would you do a good work in us and through us and together wherever you are all god's people together said amen amen thank you team for leading us once again here today and um, you can take your bibles it is great to be able to join with you um, today as we are in god's word first peter chapter two please get your bibles Please get a notepad, please get a pen, as there will be some things for you to write down in passages that I would strongly encourage you, strongly encourage you this week to to, to look up and to read and to study and to marinate in the Word of God, and when we do that, we are changed, and it gets into our lives, and and the Spirit uh, brings the Word to life in our, uh, throughout our day, and so I trust that you will be in God's Word this morning as we're in God's Word together but then throughout this week on your own and then together with uh, Kids Church TV, that's exciting families. Make sure you're carving out that time for you and your kids to be able to get together, gather around and, and enjoy the teaching, learn from that, but then take and apply it with the application in the worksheets and in the activities that they have in the Bible memory. What a great thing. And so we're very thankful that we're able to uh, use this um, and, and for you to take advantage of it. Make sure you're doing so. I want to begin today with the Puritan prayer, and it goes like this. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter thy star shines. Let me find thy star, find thy light in my darkness, thy life 
in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. I trust that the Lord would allow those words to become a reality in a greater way in our lives. But we must make that choice. We must pursue that. You see, when it comes to Christianity, it would seem these days, John Piper, I'm going to read, another, read a quote from him now, and it goes like this. When historians list the character traits of the last third of the 20th century America, or you could say North America, so in the last third of a century, last 30 years or so, commitment, constancy, tenacity, endurance, patience, resolve, and perseverance will not be on that list. The list will begin with an all-consuming interest in self-esteem. It will be followed by the subheadings of self-assertiveness and self-enhancement and self-realization. This is the mark of our times. Simply, just to test yourself, how do you respond when people reject you, hurt you, don't listen to your ideas, spurn your good efforts, or, your, or misconstrue your best intentions? Will you find quickly, will you find out, you will find out quickly that you are a child of our time or not? You see, so easily we can become a child of our time. We get swept away with the lust, the passions, the pursuits, the politics, the pressures of this world. <clears throat> and so easily we forget and forego our primary calling that God has for us. You see, we often think that Christianity is just simply a little addition into our lives, a good, good backup for when we get into trouble uh, or, or when we face crisis of some sort or if we need fire insurance from hell. That's what Christianity is good for. And our lives are so oftentimes marked by the pursuit of the dream, the, you know, the good life that is filled with all kinds of awesome experiences, fun friends. We just want fun friends. We, we don't want friends who are going to drag us down. We want fun friends and material possessions. This is what the good life is all about. And yet God's word actually reads and declares things to be quite a bit different. That the good life or the God life, the good God life, will be marked with suffering. And that our primary mission is to live for God and for his glory and to be proclaimers and witnesses of and for Christ using our lives and our lips regardless of the circumstances we face. That is our primary calling. That is what the good God life will be about. Now here we in 1 Peter, Peter's a disciple of Jesus, and he's right under, writing under the control of the Holy Spirit. He's writing this letter to Christians who are suffering, who are going through persecution and troubled times in Asia Minor. And the pressure on them is mounting, and they are suffering and struggling and facing all of this only because of them choosing to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Yet in the midst of this suffering and difficulties, he's reminding them, he's not telling them to just go and dig a bomb shelter someplace and just kind of hide out. No, he's telling them and he's reminding them that, and, 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 and through the word of God, we are being reminded even today 
That for us, wherever we are at in life, whatever we are facing, that regardless of our circumstances, we are to be proclaimers of the excellencies of Christ. That is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is our living hope for this life, and he is our living hope for the life to come. We are to be proclaimers and witnesses, missionaries, making an impact for Christ. Not just on Sundays, but, but all day, every day, wherever we go, at home, at work, at play. We are to proclaim Christ in how we live our lives, how we conduct our work, how we handle our finances, in how we conduct our business deals, and even how we drive. Yeah, I, I know what some of you are probably thinking, and I know what my family's thinking, is, uh, yeah, um, I know some of you are now starting to think, okay, he was preaching, now he's meddling, and that's a problem. You can talk about anything else. Don't talk about my driving, all right? There's a lot of terrible drivers around, and I, you know, I, I really need to send some of them to some driving instruction. Well, the Babylon Beak, probably our trusted source for Christian satire, has an uh, option for us here and uh, says, hey, this is clever. This Christian is, is a bad driver, so he put an atheist bumper stickers all over his car. And I thought, hey, that's wonderful. Um, you know, uh, maybe, uh, no, probably should not do it. Need to you know, change driving habits a little bit and not get so worked up over things. And so even our driving, we are to be proclaimers of Christ. You see, Peter is concerned for these suffering Christians, that in the midst of the trials and the difficulties that they are facing, that, that he doesn't want them to lose perspective and to forget their primary calling, to, to forget that they are to glorify God and that they are to be witnesses for Christ. And he addresses some very important areas that, that he's calling us to stand firm in and, and to stand firm when it comes to our witness for Christ. And, and last week we talked about our governing officials to those in authority over us. Today we're going to look in the workplace. But then also we're going to see that the, the next time here in First Peter that we are to be proclaimers of Christ in the midst of suffering and, and in trials and difficulties even in some of our closest relationships, even in our marriage. And, and so today we're going to see here in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18, that Peter is giving us some very important instructions on how we are to be proclaimers of Christ to a watching world in the workplace. And I encourage you to write this down as we look to God's word here in, in a moment. As proclaimers, we, are, we work with a full shovel, enduring suffering along the way. As proclaimers of Christ, this is what we are to do. Are we, uh, Just in case. is my mic losing it? The odd time. Okay. We want to make sure. You want to take it? No, you can keep it. Okay, all right. Uh, so this will pick me up then? Yep. We'll go for that, all right. Um, and so, encourage you to write this down, and then we're going to pick it up in, in verse 18 here. Servants, we'll just stop right there. Now, now some translations, and, and yours might say slaves, at the time that Peter wrote this, it was believed that one-third to one-half of the Roman Empire were slaves. And, and that means that probably tens of millions, some even estimates were as high as 60 million people in the Roman Empire were slaves. And you became a slave in Rome because, uh, because Rome conquered your country and, and conquered your nation because of war, and so you were now a slave um, to, to, to Rome. 
and to whoever uh, would own you in that way. Sometimes people would sell themselves into slavery in order to pay off a debt. They carried such a huge debt, they had no option but to sell themselves into slavery. And uh, now slavery in Rome at this time was not exactly like slavery that uh, we think of oftentimes that took place in North America um, years ago. And yet, sadly, the system was filled back then, just as it was here in North America. It was filled with injustice and abuse. And yes, but slaves were at times, they were treated horribly. With, with, and they had no or little recourse for the treatment that they received. But oftentimes, slaves were also treated very well, except that they were always under the control of a master. But some masters were very good but some were not. If a particular slave showed promise in a certain area, the master would oftentimes pay for their education, pay for their education, and, and, and sometimes it would, would be to become a doctor or a teacher. And so the family would have a doctor. The family would have their own teachers, etc., kind of thing. They were oftentimes very well-educated, highly valued members of society. And yet, oftentimes, the life of the slave, it was not easy. It was that your master always continually owned you. There weren't a lot of privileges and freedoms for slaves. For us today, similarly, the closest thing that we have to, to, to this are our earthly bosses when it comes to our work. Or in reality, anyone who is an authority over us. Your parents are in authority over you. They are your master. Whether you like it or not, you're living in the home, your parents are your master. Move out especially some of you young adults who, who may not like having parents as the master. You're in their home, they are the master, they are the boss. And parents, you can pay me for that one a little bit later. Uh, but, but whether it's our boss, a teacher, a professor, even our coach, when it comes to, our, to the sports, that our children or that we may be involved in. As God's children, we are to honor the authority structures that we have, that have in society. And so here Peter is saying, servants, pick it up again here in verse 18, servants be subject. Now some translations will even say submit. Servants be subject or submit to your masters with all respect. Now we don't like this very much, this idea of this word submit or, or, or be subject to. We don't like being told what to do, do we? We don't. I mean, and that starts very young. Even your preschooler doesn't like to be told what to do necessarily. We don't like people over us. We like our independence. We like our freedoms. We don't want to submit. And we're always looking for ways to buck the system. That's part of our sinful, fleshly nature. No one has to teach us that. That's a part of our DNA. That's who we are as, as fallen people in, 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 with that sinful fleshly nature. Now notice it says to submit with all respect. Not, and, and all respect doesn't mean yes boss and then turn around and like this and go like this. And, yes boss, you know, and be all re- nice and respectful and, and turn to the other workers, employees, or other people and really kind of have a whole nother thing. This means with all respect, with a genuine respect. Now let's face it. It's much easier to submit to your boss if you have a good boss, right? I mean, if the boss, your teacher, your parents, your coach over you is good and wonderful and generous, then they are very worthy of our respect and our submission, aren't they? 
But Peter says here, look at, as we continue on in verse 18, last part of verse 18, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. And it's like, ouch. That word unjust is where we get the word scoliosis, which it means a curved spine. And spine. And some of you might say, I've had some bosses who I don't even know if they had a spine let alone a crooked one, but here he's talking about a crooked or an unfair boss. Now, we may, may not be able to respect about certain people's lives or bosses that we might have in the past, but we are to respect the office, the authority that they have. These are the authority structures that God has instituted. And so as we're submitting to them, even though we do not like them necessarily or like what they do, we are submitting as unto God. We as believers in Christ ought to be model employees. We ought to be the best. We ought to be hardworking. We ought to be giving a full shovel in what we do. We have that term here at our church oftentimes, and it kind of goes to, um, we've been mentioning it for almost six years now of our church's existence, because in my office, over top of my desk, I have this, and, and this is probably a 15-year-old shovel, and it's a reminder to me, it's a reminder when people ask, why do you have half a shovel hanging, you know, on the wall in your office, and it's, it's a reminder to me every day, and I trust it's a reminder to you that we are never, and there's a whole story behind it, I won't go into it, but it's a reminder we are never to give a half a shovel. Our God deserves the best. He deserves that we give a full shovel in everything that we do. And so, just want to encourage you that if, if you are lazy, not carrying load at work, always griping or negative, please keep your mouth shut about God. Please, do us a favor in that. I'll say it again. If you are lazy, if you are not carrying your load at work, if you're one of these people who's off doing this and you're, you know, on social media when you should be working and, and, and just, you know, talking and, you know, doing whatever, or else you're griping and you have a negative attitude, please do not, for, for God's sakes, don't, 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 don't talk about God. Don't talk about your faith in Christ. So of our witness is reflected in our work. We are to work hard. We are to work with that full shovel. It doesn't mean we are to be workaholics. We're to work honestly. We work hard. But it also means we don't cut corners. We are respectful and we obey our bosses. Some of the worst damage to the reputation of, of Christ can happen in the workplace. And that just ought not to be. No one will care what you or I have to say about God, about Christianity, if we aren't carrying our load, or if we are simply a pain-in-the-butt kind of an employee. Now, when it comes in here, it's talking about submitting to, to, to bosses that aren't, aren't fair, that are unjust. In Canada, we do have workers' rights, and we're thankful for that. And we do have freedom. If you have a bad boss and it's a bad work environment, we have freedom to be able to change change bosses, to change jobs. They didn't have that in the Roman Empire. But if you change your job, and if there is a problem there, exit respectfully and in an honorable way. And yet, oftentimes, we're unable to change our jobs. 
We think that maybe, you know, at times maybe we can move to greener pastures, and when we do, we often find out that those greener pastures are green because there's a septic tank issue problem right at that location. And it has its own problems, and we end up seeing that there's no perfect workplace, no perfect work environment. And so sometimes staying and enduring in difficult, in, in difficult situations, the Lord will teach us. The Lord is with us. The Lord will strengthen us to get through it. Now, if there is abuse, verbally, physically, emotionally, that is a problem. And that needs to stop. And, and, and there needs to be some godly counsel in your life when it comes to that. If you are being told to do things, there isn't some exception clauses when it comes to submitting to our earthly bosses. There are some exception clauses, such as if, if those in authority, and it's similar to, to something what we talked about last week, if, if we are being told to do something that is contrary to the word of God, for example, to lie, to fudge the numbers, to cheat, to steal, to exaggerate, we must respectfully and unequivocally disobey if they for disobey our bosses. If our bosses forbid what God commands or command what God forbids, then we can disobey our bosses. But there also needs to be a scripture and a verse. There needs to be a biblical example or precedence for doing so. We do not live down to the standard of this world. We are to live with a high standard. We are to raise a godly standard of honesty, integrity, and hard work. I've told this story before. I've told this in the past of a new employee who, and, and it's a true story, who, who one day answered the phone, and just as he was about to answer the phone, the boss was nearby. He said, if he's not for me, just, if it's for me, just tell them I'm not here. The employee answered the phone and said, yes, 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 just a moment, right here. And he handed the boss the phone. And the boss was furious. And, and when he ended the call, he said, what was that about? I, I have a, a mind to fire you on the spot for doing that. And that new young employee said to him, Sir, if I can lie for you, then I can also lie to you. Do you really want that? And that boss took a few moments to think. And, and, and that employee went on and became a very trusted, long-time employee for that company. Well, that's a nice story and true story at that. And so, hey, let's, start a, let's get a Hallmark movie um, you know, going on, on that. It, it's beautiful. But sadly, life doesn't always work that way, does it? A lot of times, it goes poorly. Years ago, for me, for Charlotte and I in ministry, I was told to do something. I was told to lie by someone who was in authority over me. I told this person respectfully that I could not do that before God and as a father and as an employee, I could not do it. And he explained to me how we could, how it would be okay, and, and, and how it would be much easier and cleaner if I would do that. And I said, I'm sorry, I answer to a higher authority, and I cannot do that. Things did not go well for me in the short term. And yet God, God, God was so faithful to us during that time. And God had many lessons to teach us in and through that. Many of you, I am sure, in fact, I know this, even this week I was talking to some who have experienced more recent hurt and disappointment by those in authority over you. 
And sadly, sometimes it's even spiritual authority. You need to know I'm sorry. And you need to remember that God is faithful. And God will have the final say. And as you trust yourself and the situation into God's hands, He will take care of you. He will deliver. He will have the final say. Now let's continue here in chapter 2 in verse 19. In verse 20 it says, For this is gracious. That word gracious means commendable or honorable. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious or commendable or honorable thing in the sight of God. I mean, if we have it coming to us, we deserve it. But when we are doing good and we suffer while doing good, God sees this as gracious in his sight. We are to endure. We are to do good. Even when we may never get the credit or the reward. In fact, maybe instead we get dumped on and we get blamed. And others get the credit. Others get the glory. Maybe your boss the person who you work alongside with, the person you cover for continually at the job site. Maybe they'll never see or never recognize what you do. And maybe even others will take or get the credit for it. Or because it can easily happen as well, because of your integrity, because of your honesty, you may be at times slandered, laughed at, overlooked, even ignored. This is a reality, and this is what many of you have faced or currently facing or guaranteed will face. Look at what Colossians 3.17 says, and it says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. With a heart of thankfulness, we do whatever we do in our work, in our words, we do it in the name of of the Lord Jesus. Our work is ultimately, it's being evaluated by God. It's working with an attitude that, that God is with us, that God is watching, that, that we want to be pleasing to God. We desire to glorify Him. He has saved us. He loves us, and He will strengthen us. He is the one that we ultimately answer to and the one that we ultimately live for. Look again what it says at the end of verse 20. It says, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The sight of God in there, in the original Greek, there's the word para in there. And in the original Greek, that means to come alongside, to come near. It means immediate vicinity. So think about this. As we work unto God, and even as we suffer, and even as it goes unrecognized and unnoticed, this is a gracious thing. God comes near. God's with you. As you're working, as you're striving, as you're doing your best, God is there. And he's approving. And he's encouraging. And he's strengthening you. You're working for him. And he's pleased with you as you work in that way. This means God not only sees, but he is present with us. The highest, this is, ought to be the highest motivation for our hard work, for our faithfulness, to the work that we have. 
knowing that God is with us. And he is going to be the one that ultimately strengthens us. Then look at verse 21 as we continue on here. It says, for to this you have been called. I encourage you to underline this and write this down. My work is my calling. My work is my calling. Have you ever seen your work as your calling? Whether you work in the home, whether you work out of the home, whether you own a business, if you work for a business, if you have a good, ba- good boss or a bad boss, if it's in a coffee shop or if you're a care worker or work at a hospital or at a clinic or in an office or in retail or in construction or sales or if you are a farmer, whatever it is, your work is your calling. And if you are at a job that you love, praise the Lord for that. And if you're at a job that you don't love, it is still a calling that God has for you. Now, we might be tempted to think that our job, our work, our vocation, our career is just simply to pay the bills. It's a means to my end. It means toys and trips and possessions and a comfy retirement and, I guess, yes, some food on the table as well. But our work is to be our calling. Do you think, if this wasn't true, that God would take in place his children for eight 10 hours, maybe more a day to just be a dud, just to be wasted time, to just be a write-off, just to simply put bread on the table to punch your your, your time, time card or whatever it might be? Or could it be that God has something significant and important right where you're where you are at, wherever God has placed you? See, see, oftentimes we think, oh, being a pastor, working at a church. Doing missionary work. Now that is a calling. That is a sacred calling. And everything else is secular. No, your work, wherever it is, it's a sacred calling. It's a sacred work. But here Peter is saying, all of it is a calling from God. We are all, you are all in full-time ministry. That's how God sees it. We kind of, you know categorize or see it in other ways, but God sees us all as being called in full-time ministry. And we are to be proclaimers. We are to be witnesses for Christ everywhere. Just like this map we've seen over the last little while. Like, get hold of this. Like, like, like if this would account in for the number of people who are a part of Hope Bible Church Kelowna hearing this message, going out throughout the course of this week and living as proclaimers of Christ... We are interacting, even with COVID, we are interacting with hundreds of people daily or weekly, thousands of people weekly that we come into contact with, that we are to be proclaimers of the excellencies of Christ towards. And our testimony, good or bad, will be declared oftentimes through our work. 1 Corinthians 10.31, similar to what we read a few moments ago in Colossians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for your own glory so you look great. Is that what it says? No, the words are on the screen, right? Do it all to the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God, whatever it is that we do. I may preach sermons for a living that people may or may not listen to, but your life my life, we're preaching sermons all day long. Whether we're standing outside to get into a store or or at the workplace, wherever we are, on the sports field. 
Do our lives reflect and proclaim the excellencies of Christ through our attitude, through our words, through our actions? And Peter's telling us, though, it won't be easy. We are to work hard. We are to work with a full shovel. But second of all, we see as proclaimers, we look to Jesus as our example. Look at it in verse 21. It says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It goes on in verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Remember back in the early days of school when you would get sheets like this, writing sheets? And some of you kids are probably, you've done this recently, maybe even this year, or you're going to be doing it at some point. But all of us, I'm sure, can relate to something like this where you're learning the alphabet, you're learning how to print, and you're following this example, and you try your best to trace the letter A, and you move on to letter B, and right through to the letter Z, right? And, and, well, the same meaning is used here in verse 21, where it says that Jesus is our example. We are to trace, we are to pattern and shape our lives after Jesus. So in the same way that we trace letters of the alphabet, we are to trace our lives similar to that of Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth. He came as the sinless son of God to fulfill his father's work and mission for him. He came under his father's authority. He had work that he had to do. And, and everyone just loved Jesus, didn't he? didn't they? I mean, they just thought nothing but the greatest, and they were the kindest. They treated him so well, and everyone was always so thankful and grateful for everything that he did for... That didn't happen, did he? Not at all. He was treated horribly. He did nothing wrong. He came and served, and he gave himself. He healed people. He fed people. He cast demons. He set people free. And he gave himself continually, and yet people treated him horribly. And they said awful things about him. And in the end, he was unjustly accused. He was put on trial. He was beaten. He had his beard plucked out. He was, had a crown of thorns put on his head. And there he was, in the end, hanging on a cross. And right before he died, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's the example that Jesus set. And this is the example that we are to follow. Peter here in, in, in these verses, he reaches back in the Old Testament 700 years to Isaiah 53. Go and read Isaiah 53 this week and you'll see the parallels here. Where it was prophesied about the suffering servant that would come, that would suffer, that would willingly and unjustly give, give himself for our freedom. Look at verse 22. He committed no sin, no deceit found in his mouth. When reviled, threatened, he did not revile or threaten in return. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's what Jesus did. John 15, as, as Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he said to his disciples, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. Make sure that you write that down and read all the verses there from 18 to 25 of John 15. Fascinating what Jesus says. And basically, the world hated me, they're going to hate you. 
It's going to happen. And you see, sadly, what's happened to us, especially in North America in the last 30, 40 years or so, is this easy believism. That Jesus Christ came and you just pray this prayer and you're in. And, and, and then Jesus has just come to make you healthy, wealthy, wise, and happy. To bless you and to give, give you good things. And then, of course, heaven when we die. That's what Jesus came for. And we have become so entitled and so warped by this thinking. And it's affected every one of us. And we can become so let down and so angry and so disillusioned and so upset when things don't go the way that we had hoped or planned. God, that's not fair. How could you let this happen? And part of it is just because we're not reading the word. You see, what I just described, it's not in the Bible. But a glory, and it, 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 it's not in the Bible. You see, we're looking for the fairy tale ending here on earth. But Jesus doesn't promise that. God's word doesn't promise that. God's word does promise a glorious homecoming in heaven that is promised and guaranteed for his genuine children. In Acts 14, verse 22, that's, that's not listed anywhere. Acts 14, 22, write down that reference. It says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's not going to be easy. Suffering is the call of the Christian. If you are to grow in Christ and mature in your faith, you're to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness as a proclaimer of Christ, you will suffer. Write down these scripture verses. encourage you to write these down. There's quite a few of them, so either screenshot it or write them down and encourage you to look these up because these are verses that declare it to us and remind us that there will be suffering in our lives as believers. But some of them also contain the promises and the blessings of God's strength and purpose and comfort in the midst and on the other side of these trials. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. We live so much for the rewards here on earth, for the toys and for the stuff, and if we don't get it, we're not happy. But here we see... There's so much pressure in our lives that when we get reviled, we want to revile back. When someone does something to us, we want to get even. We want to put them in their place, and we can do it with either a sharp, sharp word or a sarcastic comment. I remember one night years back having a wrestle with God. I'll never forget the night. Myself in, in ministry and our family had been deeply wounded and very hurt. And I wanted revenge. I was entitled to revenge. I had godly people, people who said that very thing, that I was entitled to some good revenge. And, and, and my mind, oh, I've got such a, a wicked mind at times. And I knew if I called a meeting, sent an email, there were some ways that I could plan out and was even planning out what I could do to exact my revenge. But it all culminated one night where I didn't sleep much that night. I'll never forget where it was. And I had a long wrestle with God. Angry, hurt, confused. 
And one of the things, folks, is hurt people will hurt. And I was ready to do some. I was hurt. And I was hurting. And I was ready to strike back. But calling out to God that night, I kept hearing these words over and over and over. And it wasn't, it wasn't from me. It was from the Holy Spirit. And it was this, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And those are words from Romans 12, verse 19 that you see on the screen here. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, the Lord says. Powerful verses there in Romans 12. And that night it was settled. I would entrust that situation and my revenge into the hands of God. The weeks and the months ahead were not easy. I had many second thoughts. They were painful and confusing at times, and yet God had so many good, tough, difficult lessons for me, for us as a family, but we also witnessed his goodness and his faithfulness. Write this down. Jesus won't allow a single trial to be wasted. If you trust him with it, and if you say, God, I don't see it, I don't get it, but you are giving it to him, he won't allow a single trial to be wasted in our lives. And just as Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly, we must do the same. You see, this world is not fair. And what happens to you, and what has happened to you, and what's going on right now, it's not fair. But one day, one day, justice will prevail. And he will have the final say. Every wrong deed will be judged accordingly or covered by the blood of Christ if there is repentance. And then thirdly, we see, as proclaimers, we can find true hope and healing in Jesus. Jesus was our example, and now he is also our hope and he is our healer. Look at verse 24. He, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We are all like sheep. We have all gone astray. Jesus brings healing to the wounds that others have caused. Jesus and only Jesus can bring full and complete and true healing. So you can look at the scars and, and, and you see the healing. You don't remember the pain. You look at the scars. You look at the hurt. And you give God thanks because of what he has done. That can happen in your life as you entrust it to him. But more and greater than all of that, he brings healing. Not only to the hurts that we've experienced at the hands of others, he does a greater work in our lives. An ultimate healing for our souls. Jesus, the Savior of the world, endured harsh treatment. And he sees your plight. That is what he has done. And he sees where we're at. And he ministers to us in that. Peter again takes us back to Isaiah 53 um, in these verses. And he drives us deeper into the gospel. You see, not only did Jesus suffer unjustly at the hands of evil men. Jesus suffered because of you and I. Because of what we have done. He took all of our sin. He took all of my sin upon himself. He suffered and he died on the cross for you and for me. And he cried out, Father, forgive them. When he cried out, Father, forgive them, he's saying that about your sin. He's saying that about your wrongdoing. The sin that has caused the ultimate rift in our lives 
the separation between us and God, he made a way. He bridged it so that rift could be brought back together. He took our lying, cheating, bitter, prideful, lazy heart. He took it all. He took all of our sin upon himself and exchanged it for his righteousness. We receive his righteousness. He takes our sin. He takes our sin. We get his grace. What an exchange. So we were singing earlier about his amazing grace. And when he rose three days later from the grave, he conquered sin and death once and for all. And he offers us the greatest healing, the healing of our souls. And if it is received by faith, this work that he has done, we believe what he has done for us on the cross. And we surrender ourselves to him and call out to him as Savior and Lord. That's where hope begins. That's where healing begins. That's where true life, living hope is found. You know, before our recording of this service today, I went for a bike ride just to clear my head, and I was listening to some worship songs. I was listening to Jesus Messiah, the song that we're going to be singing in a few moments. And as I was biking and just kind of praying and just thinking about this message, um, accidentally or somehow an old song came onto my phone next and into my earbuds that I hadn't heard for some time. And soon I was just crying and worshiping and thanking God. As it goes, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? That Melvin Lutzer, as sinful as he is, could, could gain an interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who death, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Another verse goes, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. That's me, Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. And because of that, there's no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all and all is mine. I can now be alive in him. He's my living head. He's the one who gives me the strength. He's the one that gives me the wisdom and clothed in righteousness divine. And so boldly I can approach the eternal throne and one day claim the crown through Christ my own. And then that crown will be taken and thrown at his feet. He did this for me. What love, what mercy. This truth ought to propel us. His great love in bringing this hope and this healing to our lives through his wonderful work. Let's bow together. We're all called to be proclaimers in the workplace, wherever we go. I wonder if some of us need to start looking at our work a little bit differently this week. 
realizing that we are working for God and not for man. You need to cut, you need to stop cutting corners and giving half a shovel. Realizing that our testimony is tied to our work. You know, I pray and I hope that the quality and the integrity and the joy in the workplace, in the homes, the offices, the business, the stores, in the central Okanagan this week is through the roof, through the charts. Because there's a bunch of believers who understand that we are working as unto God, not to man, and we want to proclaim Christ through our life and through our lips. Maybe you're also here and you're listening today and you have some old wounds. Or maybe there's some new wounds, some current wounds of things that have happened to you that have been unfair and unjust. Pour your heart out to God and then entrust yourself and that situation, that person, into the hands of the one who judges justly. And you'll say to God, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it all, but I trust you. You may need friends, people to walk with you in that. We as a church would love to do that. And so, God, we thank you that you have given us this opportunity to work, to function in society. And, and would we take that responsibility seriously to be proclaimers, proclaimers of the Most High God. God, do a good work in us. Bring healing, bring wholeness. And it's all because of what you have done for us. And we understand that this world is not our home. We understand that the enemy of our souls, the enemy in this world does not want to see your truth be proclaimed and will bring suffering and will shoot arrows. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so we go in your power and we go in your strength. So God, empower us to forgive. Empower us to press on. Empower us to to try again and to entrust those difficult situations to you, the one who judges justly and fairly. And we worship you. It starts as we worship you now as Jesus, the beautiful, wonderful Savior, our Messiah.